Good morning. Let me try this. The Lord is risen. Well, I had a few people here who actually got that. Uh, And I couldn't hear you at home this morning, but I hope you responded with the words, He is risen indeed, because it is important to remember that those are not just Easter morning words. Those are every day of our life words. Jesus is alive, and he wants to be with us in our lives every moment of every day. And with that in mind, uh, we're going to turn to our passage this morning in Luke 24. um, Because we see in our passage this morning... The case that the risen Lord is meeting two of his followers sort of along the everyday road of their lives. Uh, because while Easter is the climax of the story, it's not the end of the story as Jesus continues to be in and touch the lives of his followers. And that's really what we're looking at this morning. Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Uh, and I'll read it for you if you want to follow along. It says, That very day, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So as they drew near to the village to which they were going, he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Let's pray. 
Father God, um, Lord, I, even though we can't be together, together again this week, Lord, we pray that your spirit would be with each and every person who is listening here. Um, that, Lord, you would draw us together in a church, uh, together as a church. Um, yeah, because, Lord, we share that truth uh, that Jesus has risen. Uh, Lord, we share that hope. We share all of these things in common. And that, Lord, you are still able to touch our lives in amazing ways, uh, even today. Lord, we just pray that you would be with us, that, Lord, you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Uh, Lord, all that you would have us see this morning. Uh, Lord, that you would just allow this truth that is spoken, uh, Lord, to just find good soil in our hearts, uh, to bear fruit, and, Lord, that it would just transform us. Uh, Lord, it would encourage us, and that, Lord, it would inspire us um, just to have a, just a passionate living, knowing that Jesus is alive. Um, yeah, we welcome you to be with us again this morning, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I thought I would begin this morning with a story about a pastor uh, who sort of asked uh, one morning in church if anybody wanted to just share a story of their faithfulness of God. And there was one man in this church named Mr. John, who was 80 years old, with a head of white hair, that stood up and said with as much strength as he sort of could muster, he said, I'd like to share my testimony. Because at 30, I lost my job with six hungry mouths to feed, and I didn't know how I would make it. When I turned 40, my oldest son was killed overseas in the war, and it completely knocked him down. At 52, my house burned to the ground, and nothing was saved. At 60, my wife of 40 years got cancer, and it slowly ate away at her. We cried together many a night on our knees together in prayer. When I turned 70, my wife died, and I miss her terribly. And the agony I went through in each of these situations was unbelievable. And I wondered where God was. And of course, by then, the people in the church are sort of wondering if Mr. John had forgotten the reason he was standing up in the first place. But then Mr. John turned and looked at all the people. And he said, but in each of these situations, I met God in a new way. Because when I lost my job and I wondered how I would feed my wife and my children, God came to me one night in my study while I was on my knees and he reminded me of the sparrow. And assured me that he would care for me. And when I lost my son in the war, God's comfort met me at the graveside, reminding me that he gave up his only son to die so that my son could truly live. And when my house burned to the ground and I found myself in despair, then God helped me to recall that though my earthly mansion was gone, he was preparing a place for me and reminded me to look forward to seeing it on that day. And then when I lost my wife, Jesus came to me one night after I had laid down, wiped away my tears, and he reminded me that she who believes in me, though she were dead, yet shall she live. And as I look back on my life, I know that every time I struggled and hurt, the Lord was there to meet me in a new way. And in our passage this morning, it really kind of shows us how the risen Lord can meet us sort of anywhere along the journey of life. And the events of this chapter actually start immediately following the events of, of Easter morning that we looked at last time. The disciples of Jesus were all hunkered down after the crucifixion. 
And then the Sabbath day comes and there's nothing to do but wait. And then Easter morning. And just as many of them are sort of likely just waking up, the women return from the empty tomb with the news, with a tale almost too unbelievable to be true, that that Jesus is alive. They've seen the angels and they've heard. And Peter and John run off to, 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 you know, to look at the tomb and return to report that Jesus' body is no longer there. But it's still a time of confusion, and most of the disciples are just sort of left simply wondering, what's going on? Like, what is happening? And in the midst of all that confusion that's going on, two of Jesus' disciples decide to sort of take their leave of the group, and they head out on a journey out of Jerusalem um, to a town called Emmaus. And Luke offers us this this very basic introduction to these two guys. Chapter 24, beginning of verse 13, says that very day, that's Easter morning, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And that's pretty much all the information we're given about these guys. Uh, We're actually later told that one of them is named Cleopas, but that's of no sort of real help in understanding who these guys are. We've never heard of them again, kind of thing. But that's okay, because we can basically think of these two followers walking along this road as being sort of the any-man disciples of Jesus. They could have been sort of any one of us, just two of the many faces in the crowd among Jesus' followers. And then we're told in verse 14, and while they were sort of walking, uh, they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And you know, when you think about the last week, things certainly had happened. I mean, what a difference a week can make. Um, and you know, their, their heads were probably spinning uh, from all that they had seen. And I can imagine sort of how that, some of that conversation might have gone. You know, uh, you know, I can't believe that a week ago we thought Jesus was going to be crowned king, not be crucified. And you know, can you believe how the crowd shouted for Bar- Barabbas' release instead of Jesus? And can you believe how they turned on Jesus? Can you believe... Can you believe it was Judas who was behind it all, that he was the betrayer, one of the the twelve, one of those guys we looked up to, that it was him all along. And Peter, did you hear about how Peter denied even knowing him? And on and on it would go as they processed all of those events. And then as they're quietly sort of talking with one another, going through all of those things, we're told that one who appeared as a stranger approached them and began to journey with them. Verse 15 says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. And I love the, the response of the disciples here to Jesus' question. Basically, they're saying, how can you not have heard what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem? And I mean, it literally stops them in their tracks. They stop walking because they are equally parts heartbroken by the news and shocked that this guy hasn't heard. Because the news about Jesus would have been everywhere. Uh, the events surrounding the crucifixion weren't just sort of some Little story buried on page 10 of the newspaper. It was front page news. Everybody knew. Anybody who wasn't living under a rock had heard what had happened to Jesus. And yet Jesus says, what things? He kind of eggs them on. Verse 19. And they said to him, 
concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they, were, they had even seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were, went, who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But they did not see him. And these guys... I think in response to Jesus, you know, they just start gushing information. They, they, I mean, it's just like, oh, all this stuff. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they give the entire rundown of, of, of the events that have taken place. But, you know, I think that the verse that reveals the most about what's going on in these men's hearts and minds is in verse 21. When they said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped And I want you to notice the past tense there. And the picture we have here is of these two guys who are followers of Jesus who are now walking away from Jerusalem, feeling defeated because they had hoped. They had hoped that Jesus would be the Messiah. They had dreamed that he was going to change the world. But now their dreams are shattered and their hope was gone. They had hope, but they didn't any longer. And I kind of want you to put yourself in that moment with these men to understand just the heartbreak they were going through. Because when hope dies in someone's heart, it's a terrible thing. And we know that because we've all had our hope shattered sometimes. We've all had dreams fail. We've all had something that we were hoping in let us down. Where we hoped the job would last. We hoped the doctor was wrong. We hoped that the news would be good. We hoped that this decision would be the right one. We hoped this time that things would be different. But those hopes, well, they sometimes fail us. And for these men in this moment, Jesus and the hope that he had offered them had become past tense in their lives. But look at how Jesus responds. Verse 25. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus takes these disciples back to Bible school. And in doing so, he probably gives what the, these Emmaus travelers, what probably is the greatest sermon on Old Testament, on the Old Testament in history. Jesus reveals himself to these men over and over and over again throughout the pages of Scripture. Because as someone once said, the key to understanding the Bible is to see Jesus on every single page. And I don't usually do poems, but There's a poem, I think, that said it well that I found this week. And it goes like this. It says, I find the Lord in the Word of God wherever I chance to look. He's the theme of the Bible, the center and heart of the book. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily, bright and fair. Whenever I open my Bible, the Lord of the book is there. 
He's at the book's beginning and gave the earth its form. He is the ark of shelter bearing the brunt of the storm. He's the burning bush of the desert and the budding of Aaron's rod. Wherever I look in the Bible, I see the Son of God. The ram upon Mount Moriah, the ladder from earth to sky, the scarlet cord in the window, and the serpent lifted high. The smitten rock in the desert, the shepherd with staff and crook, the face of the Lord I discover wherever I open the book. He is the seed of the woman, the Savior virgin born. He's the son of David, of whom men rejected with scorn. His garments of grace and of beauty, the stately Aaron deck. He is the priest forever, for he is Melchizedek. The light of eternal glory, whom John the Apostle saw, the light of the golden city, the lamb without spot or flaw. The bridegroom coming at midnight, for whom the virgins look, wherever I open my Bible, I find my Lord in the book. And that's what Jesus is doing with these men. He's opening up the scripture to them, and he's showing them the truth of himself. The truth of the Messiah, the truth of who he was and what he came to do. And part of that lesson meant that, that, that these men were foolish to miss that. I mean, part of this lesson meant that everything that had just happened to Jesus happened the way that God had planned it. Exactly how God had planned it. That nothing that happened was unexpected. Nothing was unforetold. Nothing was in error. It meant that God did not let these guys down. In fact, Jesus shows them God had done exactly what he intended to do. He did exactly what he said he would do. God kept his promises. And Jesus did all that the Messiah was required to do. And because of that, their hope had not failed. Because the cross did not mean failure, it was actually the ultimate victory over sin and death. And as Jesus spoke to them about all of these things, I'm sure the miles melted away. And before they knew it, they were at their destination. And in verse 28, we continue the story. It says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And he was at the table with them and he took the bread and he blessed and he broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And actually, that's something I love about this passage, where the Bible tells us how these men first recognize who Jesus truly is. First, they hear him pray. Uh, Jesus blessed the food they were about to eat. And I think if a person spent any time with Jesus, you would know him by the way he prayed. There would just be an intimacy as he talked to his Father in heaven. Nobody probably prayed like Jesus. And then secondly, these men recognized Jesus as he broke the bread. The very symbol that Jesus himself had given to his followers to remember his death. Then they knew him through his prayer and through the breaking of bread and their eyes were opened. And then after that, we're told Jesus just disappears. He's gone. And yet even though Jesus is now nowhere to be seen, for these men, all fears, all doubts, all questions, all sorrows, also disappear from their hearts. Because these guys finally 
put it all together. All the pieces sort of fall into place. You know, Jesus' teaching, the prophecies, the cross, the empty tomb. And they understand that it was truly Jesus who had been with them. That he truly was the Messiah. And that he truly was alive. And look at how they responded to that truth. Verse 32. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathering together, together, saying, The Lord has indeed risen, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Jesus' presence with these men ignited something within the hearts of these two guys. Their hearts were kindled and stirred as God's word by Jesus was spoken to them. And you know, it's important to note that this burning in the bosom, as we used to call it, it wasn't just a sort of an emotional rush. It wasn't just warm, fuzzy feelings. It was actually a response of their hearts to the presentation of the truth about Jesus. And I mention that because this verse is often taken out of context and used even by some cults to convince people that all you have to do is feel good about something to prove that something is true for you. You can kind of turn off your hearts and just let your feelings guide you. But if it feels warm and fuzzy, it's good. It's your your truth. But I will tell you, I don't care how warm and fuzzy something makes you feel. If it's not rooted in biblical truth, it's not truth. And the hearts of these men, we read right here, the hearts of these men only responded after their minds were responding to an understanding of the scripture. Yes, this was a renewed passion, but it was passion that was grounded and founded in biblical truth. We can't miss that. And it's also a passion that they just can't keep to themselves. Because they had no thoughts of sort of going to bed and just, we'll get up tomorrow and deal with this. There's no thought of even stopping to rest after this long journey. Even though it was already late into the evening, these men get right back up, get back on the road, and they head back seven miles to Jerusalem to tell anyone who would listen the good news that Jesus is alive. And what a transformation. Again, when Jesus shows up, he changes lives. But, you know, this Emmaus road that had begun... They've begun this journey, it was marked with defeat and a loss of hope for these two guys. And now after Jesus shows up, their life's full of new possibilities as their faith and their passion is reborn. And you know, as we close, I want to talk to you about just finding that kind of passion and hope in your own life this morning. Because you know what, I know we just celebrated Easter. And on Easter, hope and excitement is always runs high on that day. But every day isn't Easter. And sometimes that excitement just can kind of become a blip. And for how many of us, it doesn't take long before the trials of life and troubles and struggles of our circumstances just to slowly sneak back in and sort of begin to steal away that kind of joy. Even as Christians who have followed Jesus a long time, there's a danger of letting our hearts get to a place where we feel defeated. Where life feels like a long, dark journey down a lonely road. And we don't really live with that passion. Author Mark Buchanan wrote of his own experience, saying that when I was saved, I hit the ground running. 
Immediately, I volunteered for everything and anything that I felt vaguely interested in or marginally qualified for. I led the youth group. I helped with the music. I taught Sunday school. I wrote the church newsletter. I became a camp counselor. I served as a mentor to several young men. But something, somewhere, began to go awry. And in time, the zeal fizzled. And the fire in my bones became only an ache in my joints. And my running became plodding. And my lightness became heaviness, and my joyfulness became jadedness. And very soon I joined the ranks of the murmurers and the fault finders. Those who didn't like the music or the sermon or the color of the azaleas behind the church. And I found their number legion. And if that feels like your story today, I want to let you know there's a solution. Because the lesson we can learn today from the Emmaus Road is the same truth that the same truth that caused the hearts of these disciples to burn with new passion can also lead us to a place of revival today. And I want to get really practical. I want to give you four quick lessons that will ignite Emmaus passion and hope in our lives. Four things that if they are present in our lives, they will keep the fires of faith in our hearts burning bright. And they're simple and they're going to be quick, but they're so important. The first one Prayer. Spend time in prayer. You know, these men, the turnaround came because they spent time in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. That's what we need to do too. And the best way for us to spend time in Jesus' presence is through prayer. Prayer is time spent with the Lord as we talk to him, as we share our hearts with him, opening up our lives to him. Someone once said, what breath is to the body, prayer is to the soul. If you want passion in your heart and in your faith, you need to pray. And the second one, probably also not a surprise, we need to read our Bibles. We need to spend time in the Word. You know, Jesus, as he spoke to these men, he opened up the Scriptures to them, and as he did so, their hearts were set afire. The truth of God's Word gave them renewed passion for Jesus. And today, we still need to spend time in the Word of God. The Bible is to be our daily bread, the nourishment of our souls. And you know, those are... Those are really the places we need to start. Remember the old fisherman song? Read your Bibles, pray every day. No? Oh, man, sorry. Those two things are so basic to our faith. We need to be doing those things because a passionate faith finds its fuel first in prayer and in spending time in the Word of God. That is what's going to begin to ignite us. And there's no shortcuts around that. You can't ignore that and think this is still going to work. There's no exceptions. As believer, if our faith feels flat, what we probably need is to spend more time in prayer and more time in God's Word, or both. And, and we need to do those things faithfully, and we need to do them daily. But you know what? We don't have to stop there. Because there's a third thing that we can also do, that we see in this passage, that also can ignite our passion for Jesus. And that is we can intentionally begin to share Him with other people. You know We're going to start looking about this more in the weeks to come. Spoiler alert, we're going to be doing the book of Acts in the next few weeks. But I can tell you there's very few things that can make your faith come alive better than sharing your faith, sharing the truth of Jesus with other people. Telling people your story, your testimony about how Jesus has changed your life. When you do that, there's an excitement about it. And it moves you out of your comfort zones. And when you look at these men... 
you can practically feel the heat of their passion as they're sharing this news about what Jesus did with them on the road, as he shared that with the other disciples. If you want to get your faith off the lukewarm setting, start actively telling people about Jesus. Which leads us to the last piece of advice I would give you. And that's simply to remember and rejoice in the truth of your salvation and the truth of Jesus Christ. And you know, Jesus, when he was talking to the church in Ephesus, in the book of Revelation, he says in Revelation 2 verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And sometimes that's a place all of us can feel like we got into. But this is the advice that Jesus gives to them. Revelation 2 verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore from where you're falling, repent and do the works you did at first. Jesus says, the cure for this lack of passion is to remember and to repent. First, remember. Remember the passion you had as a new believer in Christ. Remember the grace that was so abundant when it set you free. Remember the story of how Christ sought you out to be his beloved. Remember the overwhelming love and acceptance and mercy you received when you made his salvation your own. Remember the joy you had when you dug into the scriptures for the first time and you were learning new things about Jesus every day. Remember the excitement you had as you grew closer to God as a new believer. And best of all, remember your hope. Remember the truth that Jesus is alive. And because he lives, we have life. Life abundant and life eternal in Christ. We have a hope that will not fail us. Remember and let those things inspire your faith and your heart all over again. But you know what? Don't just remember. Jesus also says repent. He says, turn away from any of those other things in your life that are hindering your walk with God. And chances are you probably know what they are for your life. Break those bad habits that keep pulling you down and to get serious about pursuing a life of passion and following Christ. Because repentance is not just admitting you're wrong. It's changing your lifestyle in such a way to make things right. And keep doing these things. Spending time in prayer, seeking the Lord. Spending time in the Word, letting His truth speak to your heart. Spending time sharing your faith and letting just the proclaiming of the good news rekindle your soul. And spend time remembering your first love, remembering your joy, remembering the hope that you have in Christ because Jesus is alive. That will ignite your passion. And we should let that passion just spill over into every part of our lives. And you know, I don't know what road you're walking down this morning in your own life today, but I know that Jesus wants to be there with you. And that he wants to meet you along the way. And if your passion and your joy and your hope is failing, Jesus will be there to rekindle it again with the truth that he is alive. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would once again, ignite the passion in our souls for the truth of who you are. The truth that he is risen. The truth that Jesus is alive. The truth that our hope has not failed. And it never will. And Lord, as we 
spend time in the Word, as we spend time in prayer, we pray that you would just reveal yourself to us more and more and more. And Lord, as we share our faith with others, that you know, as we step out of our comfort zones, that we would see our faith living in new ways as we proclaim Christ to those around us. And as we see people around us come to faith, that it would remind us of our own journey. It would remind us of the grace of that first time we believed, the sweetness of belief, the comfort of our first love, the passion that we had when we first began to follow you. And as we experienced just your amazing grace. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would help us remember all that you've done. And that, Lord, we would live in that truth. That we would live out that truth with passion in our hearts. Because, Lord, you have risen. You have risen indeed. And that truth makes all the difference in our lives every day. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mark. I'm going to invite you to join with us as we sing one more closing song.